You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum. Good morning and welcome to Weekend World on The Voice of Islam Radio. The time is two minutes past ten on today, Sunday, the 29th of October, 2023. You're listening to Weekend World, live on The Voice of Islam. My name is Samad Khan, and for the next two hours, we are going to be live here in our studios at Bethel Fatu. And uh, on Weekend World, we go behind the week's headlines and we um, talk about uh, all of the things that have happened um, around the world and, and try and get into some of the nuance, some of the detail of the things that are happening uh, and give them an Islamic perspective. And I'm very lucky to be joined uh, on the line today, regular contributor, uh, Dr. Abdul Alim. Assalamu alaikum and good morning, Dr. Alim. Uh, I think <clears throat> the last time we were here uh, on Weekend World and Voice of Islam, we had some wide-ranging discussions about the ongoing conflict uh, that is happening in in Israel. And uh, the last two weeks have seen no abatement in that. Unfortunately, the um, the tragedy continues, and we see an ongoing conflict uh, which is happening. And and most. Recently, within the last 24 hours or so, we have seen a ground offensive from from Israel, uh, an ongoing humanitarian disaster happening in, in Gaza as uh, many millions of people are displaced, forced to move uh, from their from their homes. They are without water and food. And in fact, the, the um, civil situation has got to such a point where uh, people are, have been forced to break into aid centers in the Gaza Strip to take um, basic survival items from from the warehouses there. So the the situation is incredibly tragic, and um, uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community are the w- leader of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. As Mirza Masoud Ahmed, the the caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has commented on this. He commented on this last Friday and, and uh, uh, yesterday, as, uh, sorry, on Friday, two days ago, in, in his um, Friday sermon as well. And I'll just read uh, a summary of, of what he said. Uh, and speaking on Friday, he said, as long as world leaders do not courageously strive for a ceasefire, they are invariably responsible for taking the world towards destruction. During his weekly Friday sermon, the head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, warned of a looming world war. He highlighted the complicity of world leaders with their unjust policies, criticized Western media bias in the coverage of the Israel-Palestine war, and made an urgent call for concerted prayers. Speaking to a congregation of hundreds in the Mubarak Mosque in Islamabad, UK, His Holiness his Holiness's address was broadcast to millions around the world through MTA International, the community's global 24-hour satellite channel. Warning of the risk of a global war, His Holiness said, the rate at which the state of war is escalating and how the Israeli government and other major global powers are adopting certain policies, it's apparent that a world war is staring us in the face. Now, even some leaders of Muslim countries have begun to openly state, as have Russia and China, and so too Western analysts have begun to write and proclaim that the scope of this war seems to be expanding. If wise policies are not immediately adopted, the world will face devastation. All of this is being reported in the media. The harrowing state of affairs is in front of you all. 
His Holiness criticized the lack of justice and courage of the leaders of Western powers in calling for a ceasefire or condemning atrocities. Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed said, for as long as world leaders do not courageously strive for a ceasefire, they are invariably, invariably responsible for taking the world towards destruction. His Holiness questioned and condemned the scale of Israel's response to the 7th of October attack by Hamas. Israel bombardment in recent weeks has decimated homes, hospitals and civilian infrastructure, killing an estimated 7,000 Palestinians, including more than 3,000 innocent children. Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed said, Israeli government officials say Hamas killed our innocents, hence we will seek revenge. This revenge has now exceeded all limits. The loss of Palestinian lives, as reported, is four to five times greater than the loss of Israeli lives. If their aim is to eliminate Hamas, as they so claim, then they should directly combat them. Why are they killing women, children and the elderly? They have also deprived people of water, sustenance and medical care. This is where all claims to human rights and rules of warfare cease to exist when it comes to, comes to these governments. Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed praised the statement of people like former U.S. President Obama, who on October the 23rd, 2023, released a message which was critical of Israel's policy of cutting off food, water and energy to Gaza. Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed said, Indeed, some do draw people's attentions towards this, such as the former U.S. President Obama, who in recent days stated that even if one is to wage war, one should fight in accordance with the rules of warfare and civilians should not be harmed. Excuse me. <clears throat> His Holiness also mentioned United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who on October the 24th, 2023, said even war has rules and called for the protection of civilians and humanitarian relief to Gaza. Mr Guterres also highlighted some of the historical context of the conflict, saying Hamas's attack on October 7th did not happen in a vacuum. His Holiness said about the Secretary-General's remarks, The UN Secretary-General also spoke in the same vein, whereupon the Israeli government raised an uproar over this. The claimants of peace in the rest of the world, who consider themselves to be those who establish peace and champions thereof, did not utter a word in support of, their secretary, of the Secretary-General, rather they distanced themselves from it. Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed outlined the clear bias in Western media coverage of the, of the war between Hamas and Israel, saying more stories and angles are unduly given more prominence. Some uh, stories and angles are unduly given more prominence than others. Western media overly amplifies one side of the story while sidelining the other two to the back pages. For example, recently among the women who were freed by Hamas, one woman said she was treated well in captivity. The story was was relegated into a corner. While a statement saying Hamas's imprisonment was a hell is continuously making headlines. His Holiness was referring to the uh, release of the 85-year-old hostive, uh, hostage uh, Yucheved Lifshitz, who shook the hands of her captors as she was freed on October the 24th, 2023. True justice requires presenting all affairs. Let the world determine who the oppressor and the oppressed are, to what extent this war is warranted and to what point it should end. All the states, state of affairs should be presented to the world as opposed to presenting merely one-sided coverage. His Holiness said that since the situation is perilous and becoming increasingly more dangerous, there should be profound pain in the hearts of Ahmadi Muslims for the Muslim world to be alleviated of hardships. 
He urged Ahmadi Muslims to spread these messages in their own spheres and make concerted prayers for the injustices to end. Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed said, We should lay great focus on our prayers. We should pray for the end of this oppression and strive to end it in our remits. We should pray both for the oppressed Muslims and for the establishment of a comprehensive and long-term strategy by Muslim governments. There should be a profound pain in our hearts for Muslims to be elevated of hardships. We believe in that promised Messiah, peace be upon him, who, despite their opposition to us, expressed in a Persian couplet that, O my heart, be considerate towards them, for they claim to love for my prophet, peace and and blessings be upon him. Therefore, our love for the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings be upon him, demands that we pray intensely for Muslims. May Allah grant us the ability to do so, and also to the Muslims, and may he bestow wisdom upon the world. Amin. That was um, a press release from the um, the Muslim community um, summarizing the words of His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed on the Friday sermon two days ago, reflecting on the current situation in Israel and Gaza. And Dr. Aleem, I mean, there's there's little more to be said other than um, really a discussion around and a commentary on, on the words of His Holiness and uh, really very, very clear and clear in, in condemning um, the actions of the Israeli government as being out of proportion to uh, the um, situation on on the ground there in Israel, and 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 also um, uh, a reflection on the context of what has happened, and and the fact that uh, even the most sane and sensible voices, like the Secretary General of the United Nations, are are being condemned uh, by by many people around the world, sadly. Uh, in in that he is calling for a ceasefire and calling for for some compassion on on both sides in this terrible situation. Indeed, it is a, it is a sad situation. I think um, for both of us who are uh, Muslims, we belong to the Ahmadiyya movement, and also we are both doctors. It's doubly sad that um, you know we see on this this uh, suffering on the scale that it is right now. Mm. And also a profound sense of uh, helplessness where one feels that uh, this is uh, the beginning of a very large uh, scale event that will result in even more human suffering. And that uh, we as individuals, uh, you living in Britain and I living in uh, in Portugal and Turkey, are unable to do much about it except to talk and mm. to try and reflect and uh, also to be able to pray, which His Holiness has mentioned. Um, But I think that, uh, as you said in the beginning of the program, that we need to go beyond the headlines. Um, And your uh, your, uh, morning, uh, your uh, announcement of this message by His Holiness really comprehensively covers almost all aspects of this conflict. Um, so, uh, as you said, there is, there is very little that can be said after this uh, comprehensive review of the situation and the position that the Ahmadiyya movement has taken. But here we are, and uh, we need to, I uh, think, uh, also talk about a bit uh, on what is going on. And certainly, I have a, I have a bit of a uh, take on some historical mm-hmm. aspects of this uh, current conflict. Uh, and if you allow me, 
Uh, let me just mention something that we have talked about earlier on and we mm-hmm. haven't really emphasized, which is that uh, the reason why this conflict is so terrible and so horrible is that it has nothing to do with Islam, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a, a very key point that we need to mention again and again, because I think that uh, there is a very well, uh, uh, a very well planned uh, scheme in the West to demonize Islam and Muslims, uh, because I think that uh, the current uh, Western systems are uh, failing in terms of what their own values were and uh, which were sort of um, shaped mm. over the last uh, 60 to 70 years. And uh, there are really no current answers to what is really going on in terms of the neoliberal economics, the uh, greed that has been unleashed by the current unregulated capitalism, and generally the failure of democracy and representational deficits that we have talked about earlier on. So I think that in that context, uh, there is a search for a villain or uh, a boogie. Uh, And unfortunately, I think in many parts of the world, including some flashpoints like uh, Kashmir, like uh, southern Philippines, and like uh, Gaza and West Bank. Uh, Many of these movements are characterized as being Muslims and Islamic. And this is a very well thought out uh, strategy whereby Islam is demonized by uh, linking these movements to Islam and Muslims. And Mm -hmm. I tell you why I think so. the reason is that uh, most of these uh, flashpoints, first of all, of course, were created by the rapidly retreating colonizing forces uh, in the middle of uh, last century. Mm. Um, and uh, things were rest, were sort of left festering without finding a solution. So these would, have, these would result in this. But these were initially, like uh, Kashmir, like uh, Palestine, and like uh, southern Philippines, these are all secular movements for uh, liberation of uh, people who were occupied by other powers. So, for instance, in, in Kashmir, we know that the United Nations plebiscite was called for in 1948, and there was an uprising when, uh, when, uh, the, it, it, when it was occupied by India. And uh, the Kashmiris never actually referred to Islam. This was really basically about a democratic vote that would have allowed Kashmiris to vote for or against being with Pakistan or India. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same situation is, is in, uh, in uh, occupied Palestine, where uh, Palestinians struggled as PLO, as a Palestinian lib- uh, liberation organization, which was a totally secular organization. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with Islam or Jihad. Uh, like Kashmir, it was nothing about Jihad. It was basically a democratic right for self-determination. And exactly the same situation in Southern Philippines, where we have Moro Liberation Front, which started sort of a freedom movement in Southern Philippines, and then was turned into Moro Liberation, Islamic Liberation Front. Um, uh, So you see that there was a gradual introduction of Islamic symbols and uh, turning these movements into uh, Islamic Jihad, uh, after their initial efforts to wage a secular struggle and to uh, get help was totally rejected and occupation continued. Um, so obviously when people are going through the situation and they are looking for help, they will then look for 
sympathetic ears and they will find funding and resources. And in this case, uh, many Muslim countries stepped into this uh, situation because they believed that these people are oppressed, not necessarily because they were Muslims, but because they believed in the cause of liberation for these people. Um, but there was a, a very organized campaign by the Western media to start labeling these struggles as Muslim struggles and Islamic Jihad and, uh, you know, also in a certain sense, even support for these because it, will, it allowed the conflict to be named as Islamic and Muslims to be painted as villains. And then uh, essentially the whole issue of uh, insecurity, uh, you know, in, in many Western parts of the world where uh, they believe that Islam is out to get them, Muslims are out to get them, and, uh, and then try and, you know, suppress these. So we now know, of course, that uh, through very reliable um, uh, publication sources, even from within Israel, uh, how the Haaretz, uh, the, you know, the Israeli newspapers mentioned how uh, the current Israeli far-right government supported Hamas uh, in its, uh, and, and even allowed funding to flow to Hamas because, the, uh, because Hamas stood for uh, abrogation of the two-state solution. Uh, which is entirely not correct because I believe that Hamas did agree to uh, to a state to a solution because Jimmy Carter in one of his interviews in 1973 mentioned that he was able to convince them. But let's say for for argument's sake that uh, uh, the Haaretz is right and that uh, Hamas was supported by the far right Israeli government to sabotage the two state plan. So you can see that uh, by painting Hamas uh, and helping them to raise Islamic slogans and to continue calling this as Islamic Jihad, Israel was able to then paint this uh, ag struggle again as militant, horrible Islamic Jihad, uh, and then also give the same picture of this to the atrocity that Hamas committed in Israel uh, on 7th of October. And we have repeatedly said that uh, uh, Hamas's actions have nothing to do with Islam. Uh, yes, parts of it were now we know that out of the, uh, the last count that was given was 1,400 people died in that, uh, in that atrocity. Uh, almost uh, three to 400 people were soldiers and rest of them were, many of them were armed settlers who were, uh, who were at that party. So, you know, the information keeps flowing through and there's the earlier sort of misinformation is being sorted out. Uh, but certainly, I think that there was a concerted movement to, uh, to paint this as a larger Islamic problem and therefore to give rise of uh, rise in fear of Islamophobia in the West and to try and paint Muslims and Islam as militant and, you know, people who are committed to hatred and, uh, and not, be, not let them see the, the true picture of these, of these movements being truly liberation struggles for, of occupied people by other powers. Thank you for that, uh, Dr. Lehman. And I think another thing to, ref to reflect on in terms of the history of the situation is you, you've quite rightly outlined the, the fact that, and, and we don't, is, this is not just the case for um, uh, Gaza and Hamas and Israel. We've seen the same situation arise again and again in many other parts of the world. Now, if we look at, for instance, Afghanistan, we have the Taliban there. Where did the Taliban come from? Well, um, it was Western powers. It was uh, Britain. It was the United States who supported 
financially and militarily these militant Islamic groups um, within within Afghanistan uh, to fight their proxy war with Russia. And th- this is not a conspiracy theory. I'm 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 not mm-hmm. sitting here spouting something uh, fantastical. The the this is, these are statements of historical fact. These are the things that happened, and the consequences of that were. Uh, the building up of the Taliban, the strengthening of the Taliban, the strengthening of um, these Islamic militant organizations, um, and uh, by extension, the weakening of uh, secular governmental organizations within um, Afghanistan. Uh, And the same has been true in in many, many uh, other uh, countries around the world. And so we end up with this situation where as you say, it it becomes exceedingly easy to demonize and then, by extension, suppress um, uh, individuals within within many of these countries um, by saying, "Well, you know, we have to fight our war against terrorism with a label of terrorism." Um, and 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 if civilians die, well, civilians are a casualty of war. And we hear this refrain again and again and again. And yet, if a single civilian in a Western or Western-backed country like the United States or, or uh, Israel um, uh, dies, then um, quite rightly there is condemnation and there is anguish and there is pain. This, but the same should be true for any civilian in any other country, whatever the color of their skin and whatever their religious affiliation may be. But we see a double standard here. Um, uh, in in this respect, uh, that when uh, civilians die in Muslim-majority countries or areas or states, uh, then it is considered to be acceptable civilian losses because we are fighting a war. And, th- and that in itself is, a, is an awful double standard that um, um, His Holiness is, is pointing towards uh, in, in his statement as well. Indeed, and and, uh, just to uh, uh, consolidate this argument, we know that when Pakistan, uh, uh, you know, did its its, uh, test nuclear explosions in late 1990s, it was immediately labeled as an Islamic bomb. Mm. Uh, But we have never heard a Christian bomb, we have never heard about a Jewish bomb, we have never heard about a Hindu nuclear bomb. So it appears that uh, there is a concerted effort to paint Muslims and uh, whatever they do for defending themselves as being demonic, as being um, evil. Um, And then everything else seems to be all kosher. Uh, uh, Mm. Excuse my my pun here, not intended. But but certainly I think that um, the distinction between uh, nation states, ideologies and religions is really blurred. Uh, where any criticism of, let's say, Israel is labeled as as anti-Semitic, it is almost like akin to say that if people were uh, criticizing Pakistan, we would call it Islamophobic. Mm. Uh, You know, uh, and that and that is so absurd uh, to even think about. Uh, We all know now that there is a large number of Jewish people who uh, completely disagree with the Zionist uh, theology or the Zionist uh, justification for the uh, for the founding of Israel. Uh, one is not can, one is not uh, 
you know, advocating for eradication of Israel or saying that Israel shouldn't exist. Israel is now a fact, uh, a fact of geography. But the fact is that uh, uh, if you criticize Israel, you're not criticizing either Jewish people or you're not being anti-Semitic. You're just talking about a, a philosophy, a theology that uh, is behind using religion for nationalistic uh, uh, sentiments, uh, which always leads to, leads to some sort of extremism. Uh, we have suffered as Ahmadis in many parts of the world where, uh, in, for instance, in Pakistan, uh, you know that uh, Ahmadis are persecuted because Pakistan is also is a state where it is, you, Islam is used to define the constitution of Pakistan. And therefore, people are, uh, are considered sort of non-citizens and cannot have any rights uh, like Ahmadis in Pakistan. And exactly the same situation prevails in, in, in Israel, where Muslims are not considered full citizens of the state of Israel. Uh, and uh, in, in, in India, where Muslims are not uh, fully given their rights because they're Muslims. And these are all based on um, a, a, a sort of a national uh, a use of uh, a use of religion to define nationality and otherization of other people who are citizens of those countries but are considered non-citizens because of their religious beliefs. And this is a real problem which we, which we believe uh, demonizes both religion and the state. Mm. Because mixing politics and religion uh, is, is one of the things that uh, many of the people use to uh, exploit and, and, uh, and create power structures that are non-democratic. Uh, and and while uh, people call Pakistan a democracy, Israel a democracy, and, and even India a democracy, I would I would uh, go on I would go on to say that at this point in time it is very difficult to say that uh, countries where large minorities or even small minorities are unable to represent themselves cannot be called democracies, and uh, and because the very definition of democracy is that you would have a representation. And in many parts and many of these countries I'm talking about, there is really no genuine sense of representation for large parts of population who are citizens of those countries. And therefore, uh, uh, one would say that, uh, you know, these countries do not really qualify to be called democracies. Now, Israel is defended as uh, the only democracy in the Middle East. But we know that uh, uh, Mr. Netanyahu was in real trouble just before 7th of October. Uh, because he was trying very hard uh, with his far-right government to demolish the uh, uh, the judiciary in Israel and trying mm. to take control of the judicial institutions. And Israel was in uproar. You know, uh, uh, democratic lovers, uh, uh, Jewish good Jewish citizens of Israel were up in arms against Mr. Netanyahu, and uh, and the large demonstrations were taking place in Tel Aviv against the far-right government. Uh, what what Hamas is uh, uh, attack did was actually to allow Mr. Netanyahu to survive that political turmoil and to continue his uh, his policies of apartheid that uh, that Israel practices. Like in 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 Pakistan, we we face apartheid by the by Pakistani government. Um, so, I think that uh, I think that this situation uh, seems to uh, have gotten worse. Hmm. And uh, what we are hearing now on the ground is that the number of deaths of Palestinians keeps rising. Uh, you know, half of the people who have died uh, or have been killed and murdered in, in, in uh, Gaza and West Bank are children. Uh, there is a, a complete uh, 
breakdown of law and order now in 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 Gaza mm. uh, and also people have been killed in West Bank uh, if if Israeli government says that they are going after Hamas uh, West Bank doesn't have any Hamas elements actually mm. so this whole theory about uh, you know uh, about uh, eliminating Hamas uh, as an excuse is really uh, also not entirely true because Mr Netanyahu was on television yesterday and mentioned uh parts of the uh, uh parts of Torah where it mentions uh, uh, the Palestinian people as uh, Amlakites uh, which is uh, sort of justified on the basis of uh, uh, parts of the Torah that he quoted that these people need to be eliminated mm. and so i think that we are now dealing with a very very powerful ideological uh, you know situation where uh religion is being used to uh, to ethnically cleanse uh, a population group and uh, these are obviously uh, now well known war crimes uh, unfortunately uh, parts of the western world are complicit in these war, war crimes because uh, they have continuously uh, stood against uh, uh, stood against implementing a complete ceasefire and so everything that is now happening actually uh, is resulting in people who are turning a blind eye to the suffering of palestinians and i believe uh, when the records are put straight and history judges these uh, judges this situation uh, those who have stayed quiet and have uh, allowed israel to continue doing what it is doing will be held responsible and 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 uh, not just in the courts of law here in this world but certainly in the in the eyes of god uh, thank you dr alim and some people listening may think that you have said a few things which are perhaps a, a little shocking and disturbing and and you know not not what that how they understand the world to be so i think it's worth us taking a little bit of a pause here and making a few very very clear statements the first is that on this program and as far as the Ahmadiyya muslim community is concerned we are we are not and we would never be anti-semitic in any way we would not um condemn someone for their for their religion or their religious beliefs and in and in talking about the the problematic nature of religious states what we're saying is that where religion and politics mix where religion becomes an excuse to sideline individuals and to create a situation where there is an exclusionist or apartheid state and the and the term apartheid is seen as very inflammatory but these these are not uh, this these are not the opinions of uh, Dr. Lima or myself in saying this these are uh, international human rights organizations have labeled um, the the way in which in the Israeli our authorities the israeli government have treated the palestinians uh within the middle east as a form of apartheid those are those are their words not ours and so in reflecting on that we are reflecting on on very considered uh, opinion by uh, international human rights organizations uh, and and i think the other thing to say is that we also clearly recognize that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community does not speak for all Muslims everywhere and there are very many Muslims who will be of the same opinion uh in in that they condemn the violence on all sides 
they uh, uh, pray for the freedom of the Palestinian people, just as we do. We, we, uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, are very clear and apparent from the words of His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, um, w- want this pain to stop. We want the Palestinian people to be free, to be treated well, um, and and urge uh, international organizations uh, governments to to do so, and if we have a voice, any sort of voice here on Voice of Islam, um, then then that is what we would what we would want to do: urge for a ceasefire, urge for the violence to stop, and urge for all sides to um, uh, w- work with justice uh, for uh, all people affected by this terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, I think it's also worth us sort of reflecting a little bit on the fact that um, in terms of Jewish communities, not Jewish community, but Jewish communities around the world, there are there are many Jew Jewish groups and Jewish individuals who condemn the actions of Israel, and we saw this situation. We we saw this situation. Um, in um, uh, London and in New York over the last few days because we've seen uh, pro-Palestinian protesters um, uh, shutting down Grand Central Terminal in New York uh, and and occupying um, uh, major train stations, Waterloo train station in in London and and many tens of thousands of of protesters on the streets of New York and, and London calling for the freedom of the Palestinian people and calling for a ceasefire. Amongst those, there will be some individuals, some odd voices who, who are calling for um, uh, things that, that we would not agree with. But the vast majority of those voices very clearly are calling from, for the freedom of the, of the Palestinian people. Um, and uh, Dr. Alim, if I could just come back to you on this. Um, I mean, it, it it is in that respect. It's it's pretty clear that we have to, in in talking about this, re- remember that we that uh, the the Muslim community is calling for a tempered uh, approach in all of this, and we are not condemning any um, religious group. We are not condemning um, uh, 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 individuals because of their religious beliefs, and that is a very important point. Um, that that uh, that I would like to emphasise in all of this. So I think we we may have lost Dr. Aleem there. So we're going to go to a short break, try and get Dr. Aleem back to continue this discussion. Um, you're listening to Weekend World and the Voice of Islam. The time is eleven thirty-six. Now, if you want to voice your opinion on any of the things that you're hearing at the moment, then go to. Um, uh, um, uh, X, as it's called now, not Twitter, and uh, you can send us a message at Voice of Islam UK. That's our handle on X at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, you can also call us on 0208687-7878. The website is voiceofislam.co.uk. So, a reminder again, you're listening live to Weekend World on the Voice of Islam. The time is 11:37 on today, Sunday, the 29th of October, and we are going to take a very short break. Taqwa is a tree that should be planted in the heart. The very water which nourishes taqwa irrigates the whole garden. Taqwa is a root without which everything is meaningless, 
and if it remains intact, then nothing is lost. What benefit is there for a man in indulging himself in the useless activity of claiming with his tongue that he seeks God while he has no sure footing with his Lord? Look, I say to you truly and sincerely that ruined is he whose faith is tainted by even a hint of worldliness. Hell is very close to that soul, all of whose intentions are not for God, rather some of them are for God and others are for the world. Thus, if you have an iota of worldly adulteration in your intentions, all your worship is in vain. In such a case, you do not follow God, rather you follow Satan. Never ever expect that when you are in such a condition, God will help you. Rather, in this condition, you are a worm of the earth, and soon you will perish, just as worms of the earth do. And God shall not be in you, rather, he will be happy to destroy you. But if you, in reality, die by killing your baser selves, then you shall appear in God, and God shall be with you. Welcome back to Weekend World on the Voice of Islam Radio. And you're, you're listening live to Weekend World. And uh, we are still uh, aiming to get Dr. Abdul-Lalim back um, for our uh, continued live discussion on, on the current situation uh, in, in Israel. And just, just before we lost um, contact with Dr. Lalim, we were having a, a round discussion about the, uh, about the global situation and how um, the, the rise of um, essentially religious states around the world has been a huge, huge problem in terms of the uh, marginalization of uh, groups um, uh, based on their ethnicity or based on their um, religion. And this, the same situation is true in Israel, which has been uh, the actions of, of the um, the government of Israel have been condemned by um, human rights groups in terms of their treatment of the Palestinian people, and, and it's been called an apartheid state for for that reason. But we see the same situation in Pakistan, where the rise of a, a militant, far-right, Islamized form of politics has led to the demonization and marginalization of many religious communities in Pakistan. And we see that in terms of the treatment of Christians, Hindus, Sikhs, Ahmadi Muslims in Pakistan, and some really tragic uh, situations where these groups are marginalized, they're not allowed to practice their religion, they have reduced rights, reduced um, political rights, they're not allowed to vote in the same way as, as other citizens are um, in in Pakistan, and essentially you get a, a two-tier situation. Um, and we see that two-tier situation also arising in, in Israel as well. And very sadly in India as well, which has a long history of um, secular um, uh, religious, um, uh, sorry, secular government, we see the rise of religious um, uh, 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 form of nationalism, a Hindu nationalism in in India, which has which has led to the brutalization of Muslims in many parts of of India, has led to a reduction in their in their civil rights and their religious rights, and this very sad situation 
is at risk of spilling over into many other places as well. We've seen the same situation in Afghanistan as well. And we we spoke about the fact that the Taliban in Afghanistan were supported by um, Western countries, Western um, uh, states, including the United States, including the UK. Um, the precursors of the Taliban were supported uh, in their armed struggle against uh, Russia at the time of the Russian invasion of, of Afghanistan. But, but this led directly to the creation of the Taliban and, and the creation of these um, Islamic groups that have that have then taken over the country and led to the suppression of the rights of religious minorities, the suppression of the rights of women, uh, and a very dangerous situation. So overall, the message is that wherever we see a situation of religion and um, of um, uh, uh, politics mixing together, then that inevitably leads to um, a, a, a very dangerous situation for uh, many, many uh, individuals around the world. Um, and that um, uh, as, uh, as a community, uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community very much believes that the um, uh, uh, that in that respect, religion and, and politics should not mix, uh, and and that um, the political situation um, and and the political leaders in any country should be working to support uh, everyone in that country, and to, to and should be looking to support the rights of, of all individuals, whatever their uh, religious or ethnic background might be. Um, we're still waiting to get Dr. Aleem back, but I think we'll have a, a slightly wider discussion here about um, uh, some of the things that we've spoken about as well. Um, Dr. Aleem, uh, uh, in some of our uh, discussions off program, uh, has uh, made me aware of uh, some uh, discussions that are being had by a number of academics around around the world about the current situation and about how uh, we've got to this situation where Islam is demonized by many Western uh, democracies. Um, and and this, this has led to um, a situation where essentially these, these um, uh, is, Islamized governments around the world and, and, and Islamic people around the world in, in Muslim-majority countries are demonized and and that demonization is used as a tool in order to politically suppress those um, individuals and those countries. Um, there is an academic called Dr. Hatim Bazian who uh, uh, has got a, a lecture on YouTube in which he talks about how this situation has arisen and um, and he talks about this in the context of the American empire. Um, and some people may say, well, America doesn't have an empire, but but the political sphere of control and influence of America is is pretty much worldwide. And just as millennia ago, we may have been talking about the Roman Empire, or we may, may have been talking um, a few hundred years ago um, about the British Empire, um, uh, the uh, the situation as we find it right now um, is that the American empire is ascendant at the moment um, uh, and uh, uh, and that um, this situation has arisen uh, because of uh, uh, particular policies by America 
um, over the last few hundred years. So um, he talks about the American empire, and he says it's not a recent phenomenon, but a continuation of a long historical process that began with the colonization of North America by European settlers. And these settlers brought with them um, a religious and racial ideology that justified um, their domination and exploitation of the land and the people that they encountered. So essentially, um, the people of America saw it as, as they saw themselves as God's chosen people who had a divine mission to spread their civilization and faith to the rest of the world. And I, I think we've got Dr. Aleem back. Um, and so I'll just check. Uh, Dr. Aleem, uh, can you hear me? Yes, yes. I'm back. Uh, so, Dr. Alima, I, I think you may have missed some some of what what was uh, what I was uh, saying just before we we lost you there. Uh, very good to have you have you back here. And so, uh, just to summarize, the two things that I mentioned were that um, one um, uh, that here on Voice for Islam, and as far as the the Muslim community is concerned, some some people may listen and say, "Well, um, you know, some of the things that we are saying are perhaps." Um, anti-Semitic or against Jewish people, and that is absolutely not the case. And here on uh, Voice of Islam on Weekend World, and, and as far as the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is concerned, we condemn the behavior and the actions of any government in in suppressing the rights or acting in injustice against any people anywhere in the world. And that might be um, a so-called Islamic state like uh, Pakistan, or, or the Taliban in Afghanistan, or Hindu nationalists in India, uh, but equally um, the situation that has arisen in, in Israel. And when we talk about apartheid, these are not our words, they're not your words, they're not my words, these are the words of international human rights organizations that have condemned the behavior of Israel um, uh, in respect of the Palestinians as being um, a, a form of, a, of an apartheid state. Um, uh, and uh, I was I was went on to talk about um, the fact that there are academics around the world who've studied in in uh, fair detail the actions of America, especially as the ascendant um, power in the world at the moment in the American Empire, and how the narrative around um, religion has framed much of their behaviour. Um, in that they they see their right to act in in whatever the way they wish as being a religious right, as the, that they are God's chosen people, and that's why they are successful. Uh, and and equally in framing um, uh, Muslims and uh, members of other religions as as um, barbaric, demonic, and and heathen, and they dehumanize Muslims, and that and that is how they have created the. Um, situation where they have felt justified in invading other countries and attacking other countries and bombing um, individuals in 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 other countries, um, and this has all led ultimately to the so-called war on terror following um, uh, September two thousand and one, um, and that this situation is an extension and furthering of that very same um, narrative, uh, which is which has come out of the United States. And Dr. Lim, your um, your thoughts on on that and how this situation has come about? Yes, I think, and also uh, in addition to distinctions you have made, let's make another important distinction, which mm. is distinction between people and the governments and the policymakers. Yeah, uh, and we have already said that there is a, sort of a disconnect between these two. Um, I think that in the case of the uh, many Western nations and in the North American uh, people. We now know that there is a huge turnout of people on the streets in favor of, of uh, mm. what is happening to yeah. Palestinian people. I mean, just yesterday, 
London saw as one of the biggest demonstrations, uh, you know, ever in history. Mm. Uh, similarly, uh, the people in the U.S. have risen up. Uh, the, you know, there was a big strike yesterday in universities across yeah. uh, across the U.S. in favor of the Palestinians. Uh, you know, there are, of course, uh, many even responsible politicians who have spoken out in favor of the Palestinian suffering. Uh, you know, the Spanish uh, mm. minister is, is, is a case in point. So one is not saying that uh, that there is a problem uh, with the people. The people are on the right side of the history. Yesterday, the vote at the United Nations showed very clearly uh, when the Security Council was in deadlock and mm. there have been vetoes by the by the you know the five Security Council veto wielding members, the uh, General Assembly, which is essentially the in one sense the conscience of the world, and uh, and sort of a Congress of the world, has come out very clearly and uh, said that uh, there is an immediate ceasefire that is needed and these atrocities by Israel must stop. So. Yes, I think we are hopeful in the people. But uh, when we talk about the USA or, let's say, some governments, then we are not talking about uh, the people of those, of those countries. We are talking about, in some cases, uh, governments and politicians being in the control of very powerful hmm. uh, lobbies. Uh, and unfortunately, with the way the, the democratic systems work, in many cases, where lobbying is allowed and, uh, you know, members of representatives of people are allowed to get money for their election campaigns. And this is not just true for uh, the U.S. It's true in many parts of the world. You know, we also know that in developing countries, uh, in many cases, democracy is hijacked because it just becomes a game of who's going to make more money. Uh, and And politicians then basically... Uh, uh, become uh, politics and become basically a profit-making enterprise. It's not about representation; mm-hmm. it's about greed, and and that I think is a very very tragic truth uh, of history. Uh, in this case, of course, you know now there are American scholars who are talking about uh, how the American Congress is influenced by the military-industrial complex, and how some of these uh, major policy decisions are made about supporting. Uh, different conflicts around the world are undermining the democratic governments of the world because it suits the military industrial complex to test new weapons, to make money out of contracts. Uh, when aid is given, when money is sent to different foreign governments, contracts are issued to the large uh, defense uh, equipment making firms or military making firms uh, across the world. And we have also seen uh, a very clear and significant rise in the shares of many, uh, uh, you know, uh, military uh, manufacturing firms, uh, certainly in North America. I, I'm not sure about Europe, but certainly there has been a very a significant rise in share prices of these firms. So obviously some, some people are making money. Um, and the other question about this is the monopoly and the access to oil and gas reserves in the Middle East. So uh, mm. I believe in many cases, uh, nationalist sentiments, distorted ideologies, and religions are used to justify access to uh, to resources. Uh, we know that uh, you know there are uh, there are uh, um, the U.S. has many outposts in the Middle East. Uh, in Syria, for instance, um, there are uh, already uh, U.S. soldiers stationed who are taking care of the oil that is being uh, produced in Syria. Uh, we know that many wars in Middle East have been fought because there was, a, uh, you know, a struggle for who is going to have the oil from the Middle East. 
Um, and now there are speculations that actually the maritime boundaries around Gaza also contains a huge amount of uh, oil and gas reserves to be found. Uh, so it is not just the military industrial complex, it is the the world oil market, you know, the mm. world financial system, the reserve currency of dollar that is pegged to uh, the, the, uh, the oil market. All of these factors essentially are uh, at play here. And as we have already talked about this, there are very large forces at play where it does seem to me that um, any talk about alternative economic ideologies uh, where, for instance, you talk about socialism or you talk about Islamic economic sciences that uh, can be pitched against the current capitalistic order are seen as real threats. Mm. And I think to a large extent, the uh, sentiment of Islamophobia and, uh, you know, demonizing the Muslims and dehumanizing the Muslims has partly to do with the fact that, uh, you know, uh, a great many scholars and economists are not talking about Islam as having a very viable economic alternative to the exploitative capitalist system and the world economic uh, sort of financial architecture uh, that has created a, what they call a, a, a rule-based order or, uh, you know, a, a rule-based system uh, that seems to uh, be very extractive and exploitative uh, uh, and continues to feed inequality, injustice, and exploitation of poor people across the world, that is being challenged. And I think that this is giving rise to a very large scale of violence because uh, when existing ideologies fail or when ideologies become insecure in being able to tackle or providing answers, comprehensive answers to human suffering or human, uh, you know, human problems, then the only way they, those can be perpetuated is through violence, and violence begets violence. So, uh, you know, we have all, mm. we have said, and and you know, um, I was just listening to the talk by Alan Alan Pape and uh, Dr. Geber Mote, who are very very fa you know famous people, and they were saying that uh, you know part of uh, of course uh, what. Uh, what Hamas did on October 7 cannot be justified, but but you know that violence uh, has been perpetuated in uh, parts of Palestine since 1948, and and this violence cannot be uh, it cannot give rise to uh, uh, to peace until it is addressed at its core. So I think that uh, uh, that in many cases uh, what we are seeing in the manifestation of violence is essentially a very large, uh, deep ingrained insecurity in the current uh, world order and how the world economic and financial structure architecture is uh, has been shaped over the last uh, 70, 75 years by uh, the globally dominant powers. And this is being challenged. Uh, and it is coming to a sort of uh, a screeching halt by the serious problems now that are creeping in, as we know, in the housing markets across the world, you know, you're aware of what mm. is happening to the housing market in the UK. Uh, similar things happening in... We seem to have lost Dr. Aleem uh, again there, unfortunately. Uh, Dr. Aleem, assalamualaikum, can you hear me? And Dr. Aleem was, was just um, finishing off there our, our discussion. That we're coming up to the end of the first hour of uh, Weekend World here on The Voice of Islam. Uh, the time is, is 10.57. Uh, and uh, Dr. Lim there was, was talking about the failure of um, the, the current capitalist uh, economic system and how 
uh, whilst it has it has led to economic growth, has led to huge amounts of economic inequity uh, and a situation where you have very many very, very rich people around the world, but unfortunately their riches are built on the backs of the poorest around the world. Um, and we see that in, in many, many ways. And we see that in the fact that here in the UK as well, we have huge amounts of uh, financial inequity, the so-called cost of living crisis. We see many, many millions of people now living in poverty, including children who who struggle to have enough money to buy the food that they need every single day. This is in one of the richest countries in the world. Um, and so whilst Britain may be a rich country, whilst Britain may have a lot of money and a lot of resources, that money and those resources are not equally um, split or, or, or even equitably split amongst individuals within the country, such that at the very least, those who um, are the poorest have enough money and food and shelter uh, to sustain their basic needs. And, and yet their work, the work that they do, um, is used to build the, the wealth of the richest people um, around the world. Um, and so these discussions will continue here on, on Weekend World on, on The Voice of Islam. Um, and um, uh, and as we continue these discussions um, uh, every, uh, every week, you'll continue to hear these, these voices um, uh, uh, and and these these opinions from from um, our presenters here on on Weekend World and trying to give you an an Islamic perspective on on the situations uh, uh, that are happening in in countries uh, around the world um, and um, coming coming up to eleven o'clock now here on Weekend World so uh, please stay tuned to Weekend World and the Voice of Islam uh, and after eleven o'clock we'll have a discussion with Mahmoud Ahmed our American correspondent. Uh, and if you want to um, listen again, you can do so by going to SoundCloud and searching for Voice of Islam and then Weekend World, and you'll be able to hear um, uh, this program uh, once it's finished airing and um, other programs um, uh, in our series of programs here on Weekend World and other programs from Voice of Islam as well. Um, and you can tweet at us at Voice of Islam UK, um, and you can look at our website at Voice of Islam dot co dot uk um, and so we'll take a short break for the news you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed assalamu alaikum and welcome back to weekend world on the voice of islam the time is two minutes past 11 on today sunday the 29th of october 2023 and i'm very lucky to be joined on the line now by mahmoud Ahmed. Uh, no, we are still waiting for Mahmoud Ahmed, so apologies for that. We'll get Mahmoud Ahmed on the line in a few moments. Um, in the meantime, we'll we'll just talk about um, the things that we spoke about in the first hour of the program. I was very lucky to have Dr. Abdul Alim uh, on the program in the in the first hour of Weekend World in our live discussion. And of course, we were talking about the terrible situation um, uh, in. Um, uh, Israel and Palestine at the moment, and and the fact that after the horrific attack by Hamas uh, against Israel, uh, we have unfortunately seen um, a situation where, in their response, in the military response, Israel has um, uh, not not tempered uh, the the response, and it has led to the the deaths of uh, many thousands of um, civilians as well, and this has been condemned by. 
many politicians around the world um, as being disproportionate. The worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has also um, uh, called out the Israeli government for these actions. Uh, and of course, many um, governments around the world have, have said uh, that um, Israel has the right to defend itself and and uh, and therefore that um, uh, any civilian casualties uh, are, are a part of... Um, uh, are a part of uh, what happens during war, uh, and of course, it's that's uh, a, ra- a rather uh, sad justification for um, the the deaths of many uh, thousands of innocent civilians, including children. And I think that in in this entire situation, wherever we see that children are being uh, affected, that that children are sadly being killed and are dying as a result of. Um, uh, the um, as a result of war, uh, then that that should be condemned. That needs to be condemned. Children are, by their nature, innocent. They have no agency. They have no control about around the uh, political situation. Um, none of us control the situation that we are born into. Some of us are luckier than others in that we are born into a situation, into a country, uh, into a society where. Our rights are looked after, where we have privileges, and yet many, many thousands of individuals, millions of individuals around the world, find themselves born into situations where they are uh, oppressed, where their rights are not looked after, where they do not have um, food, water, shelter, the right education, good health care, all of these things that we may take well take for granted. Uh, in many situations in many countries around the world, um, there are many other countries, many millions of individuals, many, many millions of children who do not find themselves in that situation. And as we see in Palestine and for those children in, in Israel as well, uh, who were killed um, as a result of this, these horrific actions, that their rights um, and, uh, need to be spoken to that their rights are not respected; that they they are uh, the innocent killed in this in this entire situation, and the whole world needs to step back from that and and reflect on the fact that um, uh, the, the situation of an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind, and and that ultimately this cycle of violence needs to end at some point. We're going to take a very short break now and uh, get Mahmoud um, Ahmed, our American correspondent, on the line so that we can continue our, our program. So do stay tuned to Weekend World on The Voice of Islam. Our God is a very loyal God, and for those who remain loyal to him, he shows wonderful works. The world wishes to tear them to pieces and to eat them up, and every enemy grinds his teeth on them, but he who is their friend saves them from every danger and brings them out triumphant on every field. How fortunate then is he who does not let his hold go of such a God. To him we render our faith, and it is him we have recognized. Of all the world, he alone is the God who has sent down his revelation on me, who for me has shown powerful signs, who has sent me down as the promised Messiah for this age. There is no God except he, in heaven nor on earth. You're listening to Weekend World on The Voice of Islam. My name is Samad Khan and I'm your presenter today on Weekend World. And you're listening live to our program coming from our studios at Bethel Fatou Mosque in South London. 
on Voice of Islam, we um, try and give an Islamic perspective on the news, on current affairs, on things that are happening around the world. And here on Weekend World, we try to do the same in the first hour of the program. We were talking in some detail about the current very sad situation uh, in in Israel and Palestine. Uh, and now we're very lucky to be joined by our American correspondent, Mahmoud Ahmed. Uh, assalamu alaikum and good morning, Mahmoud. Good morning. Very good to have you on the on the program. Very sorry that it took so long to get you on. We have uh, we have a few minutes now to uh, discuss things that have been happening. As I said in the first half of the program, we were uh, talking about the the very sad situation and the ongoing conflict in in Israel and Palestine. Uh, and of course, from an American perspective, there's there's much to be said on this. Uh, uh, one thing that struck me. Uh, in the last 24 hours was that President Biden stood up and, and um, he, he, de- he denied the, the, um, the veracity of reports around the number of Palestinian dead in the conflict. And I think this shocked quite a lot of people um, and, uh, and, and was, was, a, was a, in many ways a pretty disturbing statement to be made by a sitting American president. And what your thoughts on this and, and reflections on, on um, in, in general, American opinion on, on this conflict? Yeah, it's, it's an excellent question. I mean, you know, opinion in the United States is always, is always obviously very important in relation to anything that's happening um, in, in the Middle East, and in particular in Israel and, and Palestine, given with the outsized role that the United States has played in that region for the last several decades. And it's always obviously often viewed as the most important ally that Israel has. And uh, appropriately, you know, people see uh, um, Israel's ability to operate in, in the region as an extension of the support that the U.S. offers for Israel so you're you're absolutely right. I mean, when President Biden made that statement, calling into question um, the veracity of the uh, the number of of, of, of deaths of civilians, um, children, women, um, innocents, uh, that did send a shockwave through many people in the U.S. who are very closely watching what the president is saying on this issue. And this is an incredibly divisive moment in the United States. And more so than ever before, because I think historically, uh, you know, the narrative in the U.S. has been um, very much uh, um, looking at this uh, conflict from the side of one of the uh, the actors, the, 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 the Israelis, uh, without really a lot of, of context or understanding um, for uh, the suffering and plight um, and legitimate aspirations of the Palestinian people. But that has shifted in a very serious way um, over the last, I would say, you know, uh, de- 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 decade or two to the point where now, in particular within the Democratic Party, which, of course, now holds the presidency, Mr. Biden is the president of the U.S., um, you know, the, the, the Democrats, a lot of Democrats, um, you know, do, do believe that any long-term resolution to this conflict must be uh, one that is uh, uh, just and equitable uh, to the Palestinians. Uh, and so therefore, uh, you know, to, to see statements that, that, that really seem to downplay um, the, the suffering of the Palestinian people, a, a, a lot of people have, have, have reacted, uh, you know, with, with grave concern uh, towards that, particularly at a moment when it appears now 
uh, that Israel is uh, uh, very significantly ramping up its offensive uh, in in Gaza, uh, both aerial bombings and now and now seemingly a ground invasion under underway. Thank you, Mahmoud. And I mean, many of us around the world are are watching in horror this unfolding situation in in Gaza. And I mean, in terms of the U.S., we've we've seen. Um, protests on the streets of London. We've seen protests on the streets of New York. And, and in the first hour of, of the program, we were talking about the fact that um, nothing that we say in condemning the actions of any side should be seen as condemning um, religion or people's religious beliefs. Uh, Hamas itself is a is a militant organization and their actions are to be condemned. But, but um, equally, in, in the words of His Holiness, Hazrat Mizam and we're very clear in that respect that the the actions of the Israeli government are completely out of proportion in respect of um, the the military um, the military actions and the consequences on on civilians and the number of civilians who are being killed, and that shouldn't be construed as being in any way anti-Semitic, but a condemnation of a government and its actions. And interestingly, there are many Jewish groups, both within Israel and within the United States, that have stood up to say. Essentially, not in our name, um, and and we've we've seen that as part of the protests which happened in in New York um, yesterday and over the last few days. And your your thoughts on that, and how how has that played out in the media in the in the U.S.? It's it's, it's incredibly powerful to see. Um, you know, as as you noted, there are many instances here in the United States uh, as as well as abroad where um, you know. Groups of, of, of Jews and, and Muslims, Jews and Arabs, um, you know, have, have have come together um, and have jointly expressed, um, you know, so- solidarity for the the principles of human rights, of justice, of international adherence to international law um, that undergird, uh, you know, the the viewpoint uh, that what is happening here and the way, unfortunately. That the, the Israeli government is conducting its 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 its, its actions right now is uh, in in inconsistent with the teachings of uh, both Judaism and Islam, um, and inconsistent with what both 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 sides should want um, for the it, it, you know the the only the only re- resolution sustainable conflict which 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 is to alleviate the suffering uh, of of all sides. And to create a framework in which in which both sides can live in in, in peace um, um, together. And so, um, you know, it, again, you know, it's it's a moment of great controversy. Um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of debate about you know uh, what should be said and you know what 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 whether or not um, you know a, a, you know taking a, a stance against what the Israeli government is doing is somehow uh, condoning what Hamas has done. But but to your point, and 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 absolutely mm-hmm. consistent with the the the, the guidance of His Holiness, uh, you know, the, the one does not follow from the other. Uh, the the actions of, of of Hamas should be appropriately condemned, uh, and and of course, uh, there 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 is a right to take action against against Hamas, but that does not translate into uh, the uh, uh, campaign uh, that that is currently underway. In, in which you know thousands upon thousands of innocent civilians 
uh, are are dying, are being in, injured and maimed in an indiscriminate way, uh, and 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 that is something that 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 Jews and Muslims alike are speaking up against uh, in, in in this moment in the United States, which again is 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 new and different, uh, you know, for for the U.S. and therefore I think you know there's there's a lot to process there, and it's it's certainly creating a lot of controversy and a lot of discussion. And I, and I guess. When we look at the opinion polls in the United States at the moment, still the vast majority of people are supportive of um, the Israeli government and of the actions of the Israeli government. Um, and, and sort of echoes of 9-11 and the war on terror are there and very prominent in this entire discussion. We, we spoke in the first hour of the program about the fact that this narrative, this, this somewhat manufactured narrative, has led to the marginalization, the demonization of, of Muslims around the world. Um, I think it's very important also for us to reflect on the fact that in Palestine we have a, a sizable Arab population, the majority of whom are Muslim, but not in its entirety. Palestine has around a, a million um, Arab Christians with a very long history in that part of the world, and they are equally being oppressed and being killed because of because of these actions. And it it is it's whilst it's the majority of individuals there are are Muslim, it's not in their entirety. And so this question of it being purely about religion and about the religious identity of individuals in in a, a struggle against um, this apartheid, which is happening there, that it's not the case. There are, uh, as I said, a size. There's a sizable Christian population there that are equally being oppressed. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think, in fact, if you know, when, when when you ask most Palestinians, you know, for 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 them, this is not a uh, a struggle for for freedom that has a. Uh, you know, uh, um, religious uh, driver for them. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, those Palestinians who are Muslim do do see it as part of their faith that they would have the right to, you know, mm. self-determination and so on and so forth. But to your point, uh, you know, there are very significant numbers of Christians. And in fact, in the United States, uh, um, there, there is a former congressman, his name is Justin Amash from Michigan, where there are a lot of Arabs, by the way, uh, and and one, one of the interesting elements right now is that there is there's a lot of concern within certain parts of the Democratic Party that the Arab vote uh, is being taken for granted by uh, uh, President Biden and that this, his current actions may well uh, hurt him in, in that regard in, in states like Michigan, where there are a lot of Arabs. And Mr. Amash, you know, unfortunately, this is very, very sad, you know, very significant numbers of his family members living in Gaza, he's a Christian, mm. uh, um, you know, died, uh, um, you know, in, in the bombings. Uh, and around the same time, you know, a, a very ancient church was bombed in Gaza, uh, uh, seemingly without any uh, legitimate ex 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 explanation by the Israeli government. Um, and, you know, between these two events, I mean, he was, you know, anguished by these events and spoke out publicly about them and highlighted exactly what you just said. Which is this is not a conflict between uh, uh, Muslims and Jews, uh, uh, you know, but but really that there are uh, you know you know hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of Christians in in, in, in Palestine who are you know also yearning uh, for 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 an ability to live in peace 
you know, without the bombing that is happening and are part of that struggle uh, for, uh, you know, self-determination uh, and, and, and an ability to live, uh, you know, with, 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 with dignity on part of the Palestinian people. Thank you, Mahmoud. Really, really poignant point for us to end uh, this part of the program. And thank you very much for joining us on, on Weekend World again and hope to speak to you uh, again very, very soon. I mean, the the, the entire situation, uh, as we said, is is incredibly sad and, and a cause of, of huge amounts of anguish. And uh, in the words of His Holiness, as a Mizam Surem, calling for, for prayers and calling for those with a voice, wherever they may be, to to speak out and call for justice and call for peace and call for um, all innocent uh, individuals to 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 be uh, to be given justice in in respect of this ongoing conflict. Uh, Mahmoud, we will of course speak to you again very very soon. Thank you for uh, for being here on Weekend World on on the Voice of Islam. Um, Thank you for having me. And that was Mahmoud Ahmed. And um, we're coming up to the end of the live segment of our program now. Uh, and we uh, we're going to have the opportunity to listen to our colleagues from Rational Religion. Uh, and uh, the, to the narration of a chapter of a of a book now on on Weekend World, do join us again soon. Keep listening to Voice of Islam Radio, uh, and you can call us on o two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, and as I said, that brings us up to the end of the live segment of the program. And you can listen now to our colleagues at Rational Religion. Thank you for listening. Hi everybody, welcome back to the channel. Today I'm joined in the studio with Noor and Rizwana and we'll be making a response to uh, an interview that Michaela Peterson had made um, between two opposing views uh, between Mohammed Hijab and Ayan Hirsi. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about them during the interview but let's jump into the first uh, video which we'll be looking into now. Women are expected to cover their bodies and there is some kind of discussion on how much of that in some cases they let you show the face and the hands and in extreme cases you have to be covered from head to toe um, confined to the house uh, your male guardian uh, chooses or at least you need his endorsement to marry someone else and all of this is in uh, based in sharia law if you're a woman and you're not happy in a marriage, it's almost difficult, almost impossible to divorce your husband. Uh, and the other way around, for a man to divorce his wife, all he has to say is declare in front of two witnesses three times that he divorces his wife. Classic Ian Hersey style. So she jumps with a lot of her um, opinions uh, without actually justifying and being a bit more scholarly. But let's go into this question. So the question essentially is, is Islam inherently misogynistic is basically what she's going at. And she's going using hijab, divorce, guardianship laws, things like that to kind of make her point. So if I start with you, Rizwana, what, what do you think about the what she was talking about? You know, we have to cover from head to toe and it's mm -hmm. so extreme um, yeah. in terms of the hijab and that it's perceived as a negative thing. What, what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, she has she has said that Islam is misogynistic because women have to cover. 
So we, I mean, the first thing that I immediately thought of was, why is this covering such a bad thing? Is the opposite actually more free, less covered, um, something that is more liberating? And I don't think so. And so many Muslim women do not think so. Um, rather, you know, dressing modestly is a choice and it actually is a movement now in um we can see in today's society in 2022 back to the olympics in 2020 women are now trying to make decisions for themselves about how to dress yeah rather than catering to the male gaze which i think is hugely powerful so female athletes not wanting to wear um for example gymnasts not wanting to wear the more revealing um leotards and choosing to wear a full body suit again that choice and that freedom of conscience of deciding what to wear and respecting that for for women so her, for her to say that islam is misogynistic because women are choosing to cover to follow the religion just is um it's not based it's it's nonsensical yeah 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 absolutely and i think it is actually worth talking about the fact that a lot of these gymnasts particularly in america i remember watching the interview of a couple of these gymnasts who were who talked about why they wanted to wear the more um mm. modest uh, leotards essentially and and it, it's really tricky actually being a female athlete when you're that young and you're going through the process of puberty yes. and um you're very body self-conscious during that time anyway and you're expected to dress to dress in the way that they that they do now and they feel more comfortable yeah and i think in this country even they've found that the specifics that are required for sport female sport are turning away so many young girls from even participating in the sport mm. um, because of that um, uniform that's required that doesn't even have an evidence base in in improving the sport itself yes, and your so, performance actually as exactly an athlete exactly that yeah. and then I think one huge example for me that I I remember reading about was um, about Hillary Clinton and how she chose to dress more modestly during her campaign. She decided to wear um, trousers and suits instead of skirts, etc. And when she was asked, it was because um, she had had an incident where she was upskirted oh, wow, um, right. okay. and um, kind of harassed that way um a few incidents i think and she said to take that out of the equation and to help her to you know speak about to address the political side of things rather than um be distracted by that exactly yeah. she she made that conscious decision um so can we say that um that decision that she made is um you know, is a bad thing. No, absolutely not. We can't. We can't. And against like human and women's rights as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th I think that what we need to be just really focusing on is whether it's my choice to dress modestly. Mm -hmm. And if it's my choice, then I have, I have to have the right yeah. to do it no matter what it is. It's just, I mm. want to do it this yeah. way. And it cannot be two standards for Muslim women and non-Muslim exactly. women. Like just because um, a Muslim woman is choosing to dress modestly based on her faith, we cannot say that is negative. But actually a Western woman who is moving towards modesty, that's liberating. How, yeah. how can that be yeah. um, reconciled? Or, or even the juxtaposing that to the fact that nuns cover their hair and they dress modestly and they're seen as yeah. devout religious women. And, it, you know, it's like more power to them. Well, actually, Muslim women Why are not? dressing in the same mm -hmm. way for the same reasons because mm -hmm. they're devoted to god 
And it was the same reason why I started dressing more modestly, wearing the headscarf as well, because I wanted to gain that nearness to God by kind of turning away from more materialistic desires. And mm -hmm. that improved my connection with God. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she's, Ian, unfortunately, she's kind of missed, missed the boat, on that, I guess. Mm -hmm. yes. um, but she, so she's just seeing the fact that you're all covered up, therefore it's negative. But there are very many positive experiences. And you just have to ask Muslim women who wear their headscarves exactly. to, to mm -hmm. ask why they're wearing it to see that there is a different yep. side of things. The other issue that she raised, actually, which was interesting, was the um, issue of divorce and that mm -hmm. there's there, there's a perception that there's a difference in the process within Islam, like between men and women. <laughs> Nora, what do you think about the comments she was saying? I think obviously if we have a divorce, divorce is, uh, just gives us an opportunity to separate from someone that we can't live with, that we're not happy to actually live with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's there is one specific way of doing it, which is a divorce, which one way of doing it is obviously the man can say that, that he wants to divorce, but there's also where the woman want to do khula, which is the female version of divorce. So there and is divorce process there is divorce. in Islam, yes. and it's not like different actually divorce, no. in Christianity where there isn't that process, yes, yes, for example. Yes. I think that, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's the one really big thing to highlight. Yes. And then where the divorce has to have, obviously both of them agree on having the divorce, mm. khula is, is also mostly done when the woman specifically can't or don't want to live with the husband anymore. And even if he doesn't fully agree with it, she can give up the gifts <clears throat> and the things that he gave her. Mm -hmm. And then she can say, I, I just can't do it. I'm doing khula and I'm leaving. Obviously, both of them are like processes that need to be followed as any process in a court or anything that you yeah. need to follow. Even here but, in the UK, yes, there's a process you have to follow. And then, yeah. yeah, so it's, there is a divorce, 100%. There is a way to actually leave a specific person if you're not happy to stay with them yeah. in Islam. And I think it's even more empowering for women when there is like khula specifically, mm. if she yeah. does not or cannot stand staying with that specific yeah. person anymore and actually because the way ayan was saying she was saying that it's really difficult almost for women yes, impossible. Yes, almost yes, impossible almost impossible right yes, that's what she but i'm i know of instances in the hadith which i'm sure we're going to touch upon where um there were female companions during the time of the prophet peace be upon him where she approached him and he asked her you know he asked her why she wanted to divorce and, and mm. she just she basically didn't didn't give a specific reason she just want didn't want to be with him anymore and then he granted her the divorce yeah. i mean how hard how hard was, <laughs> was that, that for her to do she <laughs> yes. approached the prophet yes. and she asked him yes. that doesn't mean that you know she had to go through a rigmarole process yes. that seemed pretty straightforward to be honest yeah yes. and just for an issue of incompatibility so we can see how yeah. islam allows for a divorce and it allows for women to apply for divorce which is as you said Anne marie it is it is hugely different to what came before yeah. so how can ayan hersi ali say that you know it's almost it impossible. impossible. Yes, it was almost impossible before Islam came and gave that yes. right to women. So if she's talking about pre-Islam, sure. And even now we see that divorce is such a morass of, um, it's even, it's difficult now in today's society because there's, um, you know, there's so many preconditions and mm. there's so much animosity and there's so much um, that comes with it. Divorce is really prevalent. We know that about yes. um 
today's society. But Islam um, puts together a very clear framework for both the husband and the wife to leave the marriage. Yes, a simple framework, actually. Yes, simple. Yes, a simple yeah. frame, framework. Yeah, yeah. But one that, again, has, to, has procedures, um, and that's mm-hmm. to uphold the rights of um, both parties. But in particular, as Noor said, to uphold the rights and empower the woman to be able to leave um, a marriage. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and I think what yeah. sorry, I think what we need to also differentiate that when we're talking, yes, it's before Islam, it wasn't the case, but it wasn't the case even like hundred years ago. Yeah. It's, it's, yes, I think that's a really important thing to yes. mention as well. It's, it's yeah, it's great that now the situation is allowing women yes. to actually get a divorce if they want to, but a hundred years ago it wasn't the case. Like yes, she, absolutely, even if she if she wasn't happy, she'd, she's going to have to stay mm-hmm. or. Do something to herself to actually yeah. leave that kind of yeah. space, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I think so. Now the fact that Islam has get, given it to a Muslim yeah. woman mm. around fourteen hundred years ago, yeah. just obviously gives us the impression that how much Islam empowered women and actually mm-hmm. gave women their rights much before anyone else did. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And just going on from that, because um, she mentioned again as one of her points this issue of guardianship laws, mm-hmm. which uh, have been. Um, the spotlight has been mostly picked upon uh, Saudi Arabia, but other countries as well that operate this idea of guardianship laws. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that, what it what it involves and is it actually uh, within Islam or what? Yes, definitely. Yeah. I, think, I think if I want to first translate guardianship, yeah. it would be wali mm-hmm. in Islam or in Arabic, not in Islam. Yeah. And then uh, the, the word wali has, is a, like a, basically a big mm-hmm. word that has that can have many meanings depending on the word attached to it which we call mudaf ilay okay. which is the word after the word wali so it can be like in the quran it's mentioned uh allahu waliyu ladhina amanu and that's in verse two in, in like chapter two verse 258 and that means allah is a supporter or a proponent of those who believe mm-hmm. now another verse is saying it means and the believers men and women are friends of one another mm-hmm. so Wali and w- another w- another way of putting wali as well is that wali qariya or wali space. It means the ruler of the area. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very very different. The word wali can be used very differently depending on the word after it. Okay. Now if we go wali al it's like the guardian of the woman is a person that is required for the nikah in terms to represent the woman for the nikah to be valid. Yes. Now. When, when I heard that question and when I heard her talking about guardianship and mm. the way that I that she actually represented guardianship is that the woman has no say whatsoever yes. yeah. in, in what the guardian decide, which is very, very far from the truth. I think when, when we're talking about wali al-mar'a, wali is mostly, is, is only actually used in nikah. Like yeah, it's, it's yeah. when the, the wali is required to, to do the nikah. Now, and nikah uh, being the, the marriage contract. The marriage contract, yeah, the marriage contract, marriage contract. Yeah. marriage contract. Now, when, but the nikah to start with, the nikah cannot be valid without the woman actually approving to yes. it. And then, to consent to it. Yes, consent to it, exactly. So there is, that, there is one hadith that mentioned uh, Hazrat Khansa bin Khaddam al-Ansariya. And she's a Muslim woman. She went to Hazrat Muhammad sallam, and said that her father wants her to marry someone that she doesn't want and there is another person that she wants to marry and he said like there is no nikah is mm-hmm. like this nikah is not valid go and marry whoever you please and this this obviously brings us to the point that 
the, to start with, the nikah cannot be valid if she's not happy. Mm. Now, why does the wali, why is the wali important? Why is it important to have a wali? Now, obviously the nikah is, when we're talking about nikah, which is the marriage, the Islamic marriage, is to announce to people that this marriage has happened. It's mm-hmm. sort of a, it's a social it's sort of contract, contract. Yeah, yeah. social contract that governs the right of both female and male and it usually happens in the premises of the mosque or if if there is any specific area and when there are men they usually the father or the welly is representing to the woman so for them to actually say have you accepted then that's that mm. would be the husband's father then they would ask the father have you accepted the the marriage to happen then he's basically what i how i understand it is he's conveying the yes yes of the woman yeah and the girl and saying that yes she's accepted and i'm happy with this yes yeah. and that's that's the main thing i understand so of course it's it's it is important to have a guardian obviously for in terms of like saving your rights and then making sure that it's clear for everyone it's also the important like to have two witnesses and that's part of the nikah mm-hmm. now but what's important to start with is the woman saying yes is yes. she being happy with yes. nikah consenting to the nikah yes. and when when you come and say oh she needs guardian for everything that is like, that's no, not, not what no it's yeah. not what the actually the meaning islam says as well actually yes, about yes. it in the first place yes so if we can go straight into the next video, um, if that's okay, and then we'll have a look and see what she says next. Now, and I'm not saying this for all Islamic men or Muslim men, but is it possible um, that if men grow up learning what you just said and they go to countries where women aren't covered, and the reason women are covered in their country is to avoid sexual violence, is it possible that that could increase the tendency towards sexual violence for women who aren't covered? So the main point of her question, as you all have heard, is basically when Muslim men come to countries where women aren't dressed modestly, will sexual violence towards women increase? Which is the main question. The main question she's asking It's a very common question. Um, And it all ties into this issue of in Muslim majority countries, most of the women dress modestly. And obviously in the Western countries, they don't anymore. It's a new thing, must say. It's a new thing, but they don't anymore. Um, Rizwana, what, what do, what's your take on that, on that kind of question? I mean, my first take on it is that, yes, Muslim women dress modestly. One of the reasons why we dress modestly is to... Um, bolster a peaceful society Mm. it is not specifically to stop sexual violence from men because in a properly functioning islamic society um, both genders have a role to play and the role of muslim women is to cover their beauty such that um in public in in public exactly Mm -hmm. such that um they don't they don't um exacerbate any kind of um you know, anything on the male's behalf. So we know that men are visual creatures. They are, um, they have a different kind of um, source to their their sexual desires, etc. Mm-hmm. And Islam recognizes that. So the role of Muslim women is to cover, but men are actually um, exhorted and addressed first to, to primarily uphold their role, which is to lower their gaze and um, control um, their thoughts. So that is really clearly um, put forth in the Quran. So if we're saying that, um, you know, Muslim men are coming to these shores, um, if we are if we're going to repeat this really racist dog whistle kind <laughs> of, um, you know, 
trope yeah um and say that 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 um, immigrant men are coming and they're seeing um undressed women well the first responsibility is on those men if we're talking mm-hmm. about if they're following islam um true islam to the letter which is that they are meant to lower their gaze control their thoughts um and protect society in that way that mm-hmm. is that is the onus is on them. Um, that was the first thing yeah, that I thought absolutely. immediately. Yeah. yeah, no, that's fair. What about you, Nora? What do you think? Was there a particular take you thought on that? Which yeah, I think <laughs> I think it was just so oh. unfair how she put it forward. Mm. That yeah. she's she's just putting it like obviously we can see that the prevalence of rape has just increased in the last years. Yeah, and also it's, it's it could be the rape. It could be how rape is reported. It could be it could be that society hasn't actually really changed, but it's more of the woman reporting it that reporting the rape and the sexual assault or violence more but it's really unfair for these men that are actually trying to come and then establish their life to just say oh they are actually coming and just provoking certain but she's and she's also pointing the lens directly at these um asylum seekers and muslim men when there is an endemic problem with Mm -hmm. sexual harassment and sexual violence that we can see um even in our schools um in Mm. britain like there is a huge push to educate men on how to treat women um, right so if we look at mm. that and if we look at actually the um, violence that women receive um, is the same as it's ever been the most risk a woman has is from someone she knows it's yes, not yes, from someone exactly. random coming to um, our shores it yeah. is it is um, statistically proven that it is usually through a known partner yeah um, and Absolutely. Yeah, that's a fact. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And sexual violence is a problem globally wherever you go. So whether you go into Muslim majority countries where Muslim women are covered up, there is still a problem with sexual violence there. Mm -hmm. There's still a a problem with sexual violence here um, where, you know, I I actually had this as a comment under one of my videos quite a while ago where someone said, well, actually, men are getting used to the fact that women don't dress as modestly and they're uncovered. So Mm -hmm. surely the logic is that if they're more exposed to women who are uncovered, they'd get used to it. And so there'd be less sexual violence. But actually, I mean, you look in society, that's not the case because sexual violence is still rampant here. And we've had a long, a long enough period of time for men to be used to women (laughs) being, Uh, dress the way they are here um, and for them to get used to that and then therefore uh, sexual violence statistics to actually improve but that's not the case it's mm-hmm. still a problem here so it's and, yeah. and in the whole world <laughs> that's, in the whole world the, exactly yeah. and then yeah. you can't say it's just a flow of immigrants or asylum seekers yeah. that is just ramping the numbers up like it's it's very there's no put it into terms of research and actually just proving the numbers right there's nothing actually like solid to yes. prove and there's no correlation that we can put together yes but it's a very convenient kind of narrative, narrative to push yes. isn't yeah, it? it is especially yeah. one that's going to be um consumed very readily and happily yes. by yes. unfortunately yeah. a large segment of society absolutely um, so yeah i mean yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's quite an unfair point. Um, but I think the important point to take home actually is that that men and women have their role to play. And I know yes, that was one exactly. of you were saying yeah. that earlier. And I think that's extremely important because they, they do have their role to play. Mm-hmm. And I remember myself watching an interview. It was a Joe Rogan interview a while ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was talking about this issue about how um, men... Uh, 
men are, you know, the way they see women is different to how women see men yes. and how they're aroused or whatever. It's very different. Um, yeah. And I was quite surprised in a way, like when I was listening to his interview, he was just being very honest and his panelists were just being honest. This is just how it is. But women don't understand this. Mm. And I think obviously Islam being a, a, a global uh, religion it's it's um it's for everybody and it's for every society and it's in our very nature and it's trying to address the fact that we don't live in a perfect world we're not perfect mm -hmm. and it's trying to allow us to live in as peaceful a society as possible yeah. but we both have to play a role in that both men and women mm -hmm. and our role as women is to try and um is to try and help our brothers our mm -hmm. male you know men in society to try and to to help them in mm -hmm. their you know, in their role in lowering their gaze and trying to help foster peace in society by uh, overall. And it's a fine balance to, to, to tread. Yeah. Um, and it, in this society, you could argue women dr don't dress as modestly and men can, you know, don't, they don't lower their gaze in private or in public. So pornography is a huge problem here. Mm -hmm. um, and in other societies, there's more of an emphasis, unfortunately, on women playing their part and not so much the men playing their part. And that is a yes. problem. Mm -hmm. But but Islamically speaking, if we're talking about Islam, Islam emphasizes both roles. Yeah, and I, yeah, he even does it first mm -hmm. for the men yes. to actually lower yeah. their gaze. And that does, yeah. And speaking to your point about... Um, we are humans, none of us are perfect. Um, this is not to say that in any um, Islamic country in the world and, you know, Muslim society, that there is no sexual harassment or violence because we can see that it's still there. Yeah. But does that, um, can we attribute that to Islam? No, we That's can't. We can attribute it to human weakness yes. and yeah. human error and also a misinterpretation of the way um, a man or a woman is meant to function in society. And Again, that just speaks back to nature and exactly, exactly yeah. yeah, of being realistic as yes. to human nature and how we behave in society. Yeah. Essentially, and I think yeah, I think that's what we we like most most of the things that we're covering today is just it's not Islam that we're actually arguing against. It's some people's behavior, some people's yeah. like how they react, yeah. but. The Islam itself, it gives like in in this case, it actually tells the man how to behave, mm -hmm. tells the woman what how what role to play in the society. Mm -hmm. So if we do it this way, what Islam has actually asked us to do, then we would have all lived in peace, and there mm -hmm. wouldn't we wouldn't see any sexual violence. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, obviously we're human being, and yeah. then well, yeah, can happen. Hopefully it would it would <laughs> hopefully <laughs> really go down. Yes, yes, yes. but there, I mean, yeah, it's it is human nature, and Islam yes. speaks to human nature, which is yes. I think a core yes, yes. tenant throughout all of the values. To be yes. honest. أشهد أن محمدا This is the second part in a narration of the book A Call to Faith by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed. A Call to Faith, Part 2 Attacks Against the Holy Prophet, Peace Be Upon Him The blessed being of the Holy Prophet, Peace Be Upon Him, was so determined in his opposition to disbelief that anyone who possesses a hint of faithlessness in their heart harbours enmity against him. Such people consider it their duty 
to attack his pure being, for they reckon his success amounts to their downfall, and that his life brings about their death. Hence, no other prophet has been slandered to the same degree as the holy prophet, peace be upon him, has, whether they are Arab, Syrian, Indian, or Persian. As I have mentioned, the enemies of Islam are compelled to malign its founder because Islam shatters their deception and fraud. After all, everyone cherishes their own life. More astonishing is the case of those who claim to love Islam, profess apparent faith in the Holy Quran, invoke peace and blessings on the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and yet do not hold back from attacking his character. They propagate such doctrines which dishonour the blessed personage of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and thereby turn the hearts of people away from his love. Time and again, some among them proclaim Jesus is still alive and resides in the fourth heaven with the same physical body, and one day he will descend from there and bring the people under his rule. Unfortunately, they fail to comprehend this is an insult to that prophet to whose beneficence they owe everything, whom God Almighty ordained the greatest of all humanity and whose spiritual power far exceeds that of the angels and all other human beings. They seek to confer higher rank and station on an individual who, if he had lived in the time of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad, peace be upon him, would have prided himself on entering his servitude. It is an inexorable truth that no one has suffered more than the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, for the sake of God Almighty's religion. For thirteen years in Mecca, he endured such agony and torment that had it been inflicted on any other person, it would have broken them within a year. His loyal and devoted followers also persevered in the face of unbearable horrors. Conversely, the sacrifices made by the Messiah and his disciples cannot begin to compare with those of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. As great as they may be in their own right, they hold no value against the sacrifices made by the Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him. First, the ministry of the Messiah is reported to have lasted for three years. And even during this brief period, the injustices his opponents inflicted on him were limited to a few instances of verbal abuse and derision. Whereas, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, spent the same length of time under siege in a confined valley, he and his followers were deprived of food and water, and trade with them was made punishable. 
their suffering was so acute, the Prophet's wife, Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, fell ill and died as a result. His companions would narrate that at times due to a shortage of food, they would survive by eating leaves, and in consequence, their excrement would resemble that of goats. The lives of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and his followers were attacked on numerous occasions. They were stoned, strangulated, pelted with filth. There was no agony which they did not suffer. But through it all, Allah the Exalted continually instructed them to have patience, as had the messengers of strong determination, and be steadfast in resisting your enemies. Is it not strange that despite knowledge of this, those who call themselves Muslims and scholars believe when the Messiah was to be crucified, Allah the Exalted gave his likeness to another man and placed him in the hands of the Jews while raising the actual Messiah to heaven. If this were true, Christians would be justified in the belief their guide is greater than the Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, on the basis that he underwent 13 years of hardship in Mecca and five more in Medina. Allah the Exalted made him endure these agonies without coming to his help. Whereas the moment Jesus' enemies sought to harm him, God Almighty raised him to the fourth heaven and did not tolerate his torment for an instant. I call on those who grieve for the plight of Islam and who claim to love the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad, peace be upon him, and ask whether you have given thought to the damage such scholars have inflicted on Islam and how they have dishonoured the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, by raising the Messiah to heaven. Have you ever considered that the doctrine of the Messiah surviving in heaven for so many years as advanced by these scholars, only strengthens the hand of Christianity? Quite clearly, an individual raised to heaven and kept alive, there by Allah the Exalted, is perforce more lofty than anyone who is allowed to live an average age, and then caused to die by divine will. Moreover, if it were accepted that not only was the Messiah still alive, but that he brought the dead to life as is commonly believed by the Muslims of today, then God forbid, no doubt can remain, the Messiah is greater than the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Does the Holy Quran, the final book of God Almighty, support this belief? Certainly not. The Holy Quran categorically rejects this and says in the clearest terms, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is the chief of all prophets. All the messengers took an oath that if he were raised in their age, they would bring faith in him and extend him their help and support. How is it possible to ignore a sovereign and adorn one of lesser rank in regal dress? Allah the Exalted is not unjust. If the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, truly is the chief of all prophets, and I swear by God, in whose hand is my life, 
Surely cursed are those who give false testimony in his name. The holy prophet, peace be upon him, is certainly the chief of all prophets and messengers. Then no one who has previously lived, and no one who will ever be born, can rise to his rank. All others are subservient to him, and the nearness to God Almighty enjoyed by him, and the jealousy God Almighty showed for him, has not been accorded to anyone else, nor has God Almighty ever shown such regard for another. Who was the Messiah? He was but one in a long line of prophets from the Mosaic dispensation, whereas the rank of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad, peace be upon him, was such that all of the Mosaic prophets combined could not attain it. Thus, how is it possible God Almighty raised the Messiah to heaven in order to protect him from the onslaughts of his enemies and left the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, alone for people to pelt him with rocks until he was wounded and bleeding or to stone him and break his blessed teeth and not cease until he fell unconscious as in the Battle of Uhud. I swear by God, this could not have happened. If God Almighty were to raise anyone to heaven, it would have been the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And if God had willed to keep anyone alive for centuries, it would surely again have been him. Foolish are those who believe God Almighty raised the Messiah to heaven, where he is alive to this day. This creed not only goes against the Holy Quran, it bolsters Christianity. Moreover, it is an insult not only to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, but also to God Almighty, as it implies, God forbid, that he is unjust, for the one who deserved the best of his bounties was dealt with unfairly, and the one who deserved lesser bounties was given the best of them. It further suggests God forbid, that God Almighty was helpless to do anything in this world and therefore raised the Messiah to heaven in order to save him. If Muslims would only reflect, they would recognize this belief of the Messiah being raised to heaven was foolishly invented by Christians on account of the fact it clearly says in their interpolated scripture, the kingdom of God does not hold sway on the earth. So to this day, Christians beseech God to establish his kingdom in the world, just as he has in heaven. But in Islam, such doctrines are considered disbelief. The Quran clearly says, to Allah belongs the kingdom of the heavens and the earth. Christians have little option but to accept God Almighty raise the Messiah to heaven, for according to their beliefs, the kingdom of God is not established on the earth. Therefore, he was unable to protect the Messiah in this world. But what of the Muslims? What caused them to imitate Christians and raise the Messiah to heaven without good cause? The kingdom of their God is established in heaven and earth. What need was there for him to raise his prophet to heaven from fear of the Jews? He could have protected him and brought destruction on his enemies in this very world.
no matter how you look at it. The belief the Messiah is alive in heaven is an affront to God Almighty and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Christians have taken advantage of these circumstances and hundreds of thousands of Muslims have faltered due to this creed and entered the fold of Christianity as a result. There is still time for the Muslims to ponder and repent from this nonsensical and un-Islamic tenet and convince others from among them to do the same. Otherwise, to insult the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is no minor offence. They should know that one day they will entrust their lives to the custody of God Almighty rather than their clerics. Therefore, while there is still time, the Muslims should unite as one and drive this foul creed which insults the Prophet, peace be upon him, from their hearts and thereby loosen from themselves the grip of Christianity. Let the Messiah die, for in his death is the death of Christianity and the life of Islam. Is there a fervent soul out there who would bring death to the Messiah and revitalize Islam? Surely, those who would do this from a religious zeal rather than from a rationalist approach would earn the mercy of God Almighty and he would enable them to tread on his chosen paths. With humility, Mirza Mahmud Ahmed, Imam of the Ahmadiyya community, Qadiyan. Ooh.